Section 8 of The Lord of Death and the Queen of Life This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Steve Bose The Lord of Death and the Queen of Life by Homer Eon Flint Part 2 The Story Chapter 3 The Throne a small storm had come up while Maka and I were talking. Now, as he was about to quit me, the clouds were clearing away, and an occasional stroke of lightning came down. One of these, however, hit the ground such a short distance away that both of us could smell the smoke. My mind was more alive than it had ever been before. Now what caused that, Maka? The lightning, I mean. We have it nearly every day, yet I have never thought to question it before. It is no mystery, my lad, quoth Maka, dodging into his chariot so that he was not wet. I myself have watched the thing from the top of the high mountains, where the air is so light that a man can scarce get enough to fill his lungs. And I say unto you that, were it not for all the air we have, we would have naught save the lightning. The space about the air is full of it. He started his engine, then leaned out into the rain and said softly, Hold fast to what thy father has taught thee, Strokar. Have nothing to do with women. Tis a man's job ahead of thee, and the future of the empire is in thy hands. And, as he clattered off, Fill not thy head with wonderings about the lightning. Aye, said I earnestly, and immediately turned my thoughts to my new ambition. And yet, the thing that Maka had just told me kept coming back to my mind, and so it does to this very day. I know not why I should mention it at all, save that each time I think upon Maka, I also think upon the lightning whether I will or no. I slept not at all that night, but sat. Footnote. It seems to have been the custom among the soldiers never to lie down, but to take their sleep sitting or standing, a habit not hard to form when the gravitation was so slight. No doubt this also explains their stunted legs. End footnote. Till the dawn came, thinking out a plan of action. By that time, I was fair convinced that there was naught to be gained by waiting. Waiting makes me impatient as well. I determined to act at once, and since one day is quite as good as the next, I decided that this day was to see the thing begun. I came before the Emperor at noon and received my decorations. Within the hour I had made myself known to the four-and-ninety men who were to be my command. A picked company, all of a height and weight, with bodies that lacked little of my own perfection. Never was there a finer guard about the palace. My first care was to pick a quarrel with the outgoing commander. Twere easy enough, he was green with envy anyhow. And so it came about that we met about mid-afternoon, with seconds, in a well-frequented field in the outskirts. 
Before supper was eaten, my entire troop knew that their new captain had tossed his ball-slinger away without using it, had taken twenty balls from their former commander's weapon, and while thus wounded had charged a man and dispatched him with bare hands. Needless to say, this exploit quite won their hearts. None but a blind man could have missed the respect they showed me when, all bandaged and sore, I lined them up next morning. Afterwards I learned that they had all taken a pledge to follow Strokor through the gates of Hof itself. T'were but a week later, fully recovered and in perfect fettle, I called my men together one morn as the sun rose. By that time, I had given them a sample of my brains through ordering a rearrangement of their quarters, such as made the same much more comfortable. Also, I had dealt with one slight infraction of the rules in such a drastic fashion that they knew I would brook no trifling. All told, tis hard to say whether they thought the most of me or of John. Men, said I as bluntly as I knew, the emperor is an old man and as ye know he is disposed to be lenient toward the men of clow whereas ye and i well know that the louts are blackguards now i will tell ye more it has come to me lately that clow is plotting to attack us with strange weapons i thought best considering their ignorance not to give them my own reasons of course I have told the Emperor of it, yet he will not act. He says to wait till we are attacked. I stopped and watched their faces. Sure enough, the idea fair made them ache. Each and every one of these men was spoiling for a fight. Now tell me, how would ye like to become the Emperor's bodyguard? I did not have to wait long. The light that flared in their faces told me plainly. And how would ye like to have me for your emperor? At that their tongues were loosed, and I hindered them not. They yelled for pure joy, and pressed about me like a pack of children. I saw that the time was ripe for action. Up then, I roared and of course led the way. We met the Emperor's guard on the lower stairs, and from that point on we fair hacked our way through. Well, no need to describe the fight. For a time I thought we were gone. The guards had a cunningly devised labyrinth on the second floor, and attacked us from holes in a false ceiling, so that we suffered heavily at first. But I saw what was amiss and shouted to my men to clear away the timbers, and after that it was clear work. I lost forty men before the guard was disposed of. The emperor I finished myself. He dodged right spryly for a time, but at last I caught him and tossed him to the foot of the upper stairs, and there he still lies, for none of my men would touch him, nor would I. We covered him with quicklime and some earth. As soon as we had taken care of those who were not too far gone, I called the men together and caused a round of spirits to be served. 
Then we all feasted on the Emperor's store, and soon were feeling like ourselves. Men, I said impressively, I am proud of ye. Never did an Emperor have such a dangerous gang of bullies. At that they all grinned happily, and I added, and tis a fine staff of generals that ye'll make. Need I say more? Those men would have overturned the palace for me had I said the word. As it was, they obeyed my next orders in such a spirit that success was assured from the first. First, using the dead emperor's name, I caused the various chiefs to be brought together at once to the court chamber. At the same time I contrived, by means I need not go into here, to prevent any word of our action from getting abroad. So when the former staff faced me the next morning, they learned that they were to be executed. I could trust not one. They were all friends of the old man. With the chiefs out of the way, and my own men taking their commands, the whole army fell into my hands. True, there were some insurrections here and there, but my men handled them with such speed and harshness that any further stubbornness turned to admiration. By this time the fame of Strokar was spread throughout the empire. And thus it came about that, within a week of the night that old Maka first put the idea into my head, Strokor, son of Strok, reigned throughout Vlamaland. And to make it complete, the army celebrated my ascension by taking a pledge before John. To Strokor, the fittest of the fit. End of section 8 Recording by Steve Boyce Website www.steveboyce.net Boyce is spelt B-U-Y-S